0: This is The Ultimate Guide to Partnering, the top partnership podcast. In this podcast, Vince Menzion, a proven partner sales executive, shares his mission to help leaders like you achieve your greatest results through successful partnering. And now your host, Vince Menzion. Welcome to or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzio, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you achieve your greatest results through successful partnering. This past week, I had the opportunity to speak at the amazing InPartner Conference in Miami, and what a great event it was. And You know, many leaders come to me after I speak at events like this and ask me to tell more of my stories, explain more of how partners can achieve their greatest results, versus just interviewing other guests. And so today we're going to do something a little bit different. Today we're going to flip the chairs and I'm going to be interviewed by a great friend, Rick Vandenbosch, Bosch, the CEO of Chanext and the host of his own podcast, Unraveled. And today Rick is going to ask me about my experiences being at Microsoft and how I see this ecosystem evolving and what organizations need to do now to achieve their greatest results. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed spending time with Rick van den Bosch.
1: Vince, how are you doing today?
0: Rick, it is so, such a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you so much for hosting me.
1: Likewise, we actually recorded the podcast earlier together, but then it was on Ultimate Guide to uh, Partnering. So I'm very excited to continue the conversation today and uh, dive even further in the world of ecosystems and, uh, and channel uh, today.
0: You know, I love I love Unraveled because I think it's a great way to decode and talk about what we're experiencing in our world and our lives today. So excited for this conversation.
1: Likewise, I'm uh, I'm super curious also for our listeners, Vince, uh, uh, who might not know you yet. Could you elaborate a bit more on on how you got acquainted with partnerships and uh, you've had had an impressive career there? So I think it's it's uh, definitely interesting to to learn a bit more there. So Rick, as you mentioned, I'm the
0: CEO of ultimate partner and the host of the ultimate guide to partnering podcast over 200 episodes. Now we're, we're in the 200 range now, which is kind of crazy. I started my career in the early days of wireless computing. I've described this career as four successful business transformations. I'm on number five now. And, uh, I started off carrying a bag as a salesperson company that was in the early days of wireless computing before Wi-Fi. We were pioneers in that technology. I I used partners to build an influence strategy to help us grow our market share. We went public on the Toronto Exchange. We had a successful exit. That company is now Zebra Technologies. I followed one of the leaders to go do a turnaround, company that was at the brink of bankruptcy and Golden Gate Capital had spun us out. And I built a new business. And that's where I started into the partnership world really fully. Uh, I was asked to build a government business. We were Panasonic's largest competitor Panasonic was the market leader in selling into public safety and military, uh, and we had a product that was equally as good. Uh, I, I built the channel strategy. I went down to Washington D.C. I aligned with several of the largest uh, technology partnership organizations, and ex- I built that business uh, in- incrementally. Ex- uh, just we had we had tremendous success. Um, I was the growth engine. We sold the company to. Uh, another company, uh, General Dynamics, large defense contractor. It was at that point that Microsoft recruited me. And for almost a decade, I ran Microsoft's we, – we didn't call it ecosystem at the time yet. We called it partner strategy. But I ran the ecosystem for a $4.6 billion business within Microsoft for almost 10 years. And I learned quite a bit about partnering in ecosystems and all the di- different types of partnerships and, and what that meant to building a successful strategy for a large tech giant like Microsoft. I left at the end of 2016, and I was convicted more than ever that organizations struggled. I saw the partners that got it right. I realized a lot of organizations still struggled. or the 400,000 Microsoft partners in that ecosystem, which is the same ecosystem that all the big tech giants really care about. It's really one ecosystem. And uh, I started this podcast, Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I started doing consulting work for those organizations. I went back inside for two years to the largest software company nonprofit. And I recognized that the C-suite level, there was still a lack of understanding and alignment around partnerships. And so when I left during COVID, I was convicted more than ever that we needed to solve for this. And so I've made it my mission now to help organizations achieve their greatest results through successful partnering, individuals and organizations. I wanna empower the world of partnering and it's, I'm on a 10-year journey, a 10-year mission to help solve for that with Ultimate Partner. And we've expanded now from just being a podcast to doing digital and live events. Uh, we're going to be building a, a, a collective of organizations. We want, we want to invite everybody to, that, is, that cares about the hyperscaler ecosystem to be part of that collective because we feel that they need to have a stronger voice uh, working with the big hyperscalers. So that's where, where I'm a mission to help solve. Uh, I won't stop until the chief partner officer is at equal footing with the CRO, the CFO, and the CMO in the organization at, at the C-suite. And that's that's where we, we hope to get to.
1: I love that. And that's a super impressive career in partnerships, indeed. I'm very curious what you, I think I can totally imagine, indeed, back in the days already at Microsoft. Probably it wasn't called ecosystem yet, but I can no. imagine Microsoft is always the front runner in everything partner-related. Yes. There probably were a lot of things that were actually already ecosystem, even though we weren't mentioning it like that yet. Like, could you maybe give some examples, what you see right now, what are very hot topics in the market, which actually maybe Microsoft was already starting to work or, or really laid the foundations for at that time. Yeah, in fact, we called it network back then, but I'm, I'm, gonna, back, I'm gonna back up
0: because I feel like Microsoft created it at the very beginning. We might, you and I talked about this once before, But when Bill Gates came down here to Florida to Boca Raton to meet with IBM when they created the PC and they were gonna buy his operating system, he said, I'm not gonna sell it to you, I'm gonna license it to you. And they also agreed to license the hardware components. That sparked an ecosystem. That created trillions and trillions of dollars of new incremental revenue in our industry. And it created, Michael Dell started building PCs in his dorm room and compact computer got started. And large reseller organizations in the United States, CDW, and some of these others uh, started marketing, started delivering magazines and doing direct marketing to sell you PCs and networking. VARS were created. Uh, the whole ecosystem was really spawned from that moment in time back in like 1981. Microsoft recognized that and they nurtured that. They realized they couldn't sell direct. They realized their, their, where their strengths were, and they didn't want to have 100,000 salespeople out there, they realized the leverage and the value of the partner network that they called it back in the day, and they also started to divide and conquer. Like, okay, these part they they they, they bucketized partners into specializations. They re- recognized that there were MSPs and SIs and ISVs and GSIs and and so on, and learning partners and all the like. And they started nurturing and building a whole partner uh, organization around it. And they've done a better job than anybody at aligning that and aligning salespeople to the success of the partner ecosystem, rather than dividing it up and siloing it. And Microsoft is probably the most, I, I think it's either Gartner or McKenzie that says Microsoft's the most uh, complex hybrid organization in the world. But they figured out a way to make this all work and integrate it so that people, a salesperson cares about selling a partner there's partner people supporting it. There's partner development managers, and they have a division of labor. And then the organization I think is very unique in supporting that ecosystem. And then the Microsoft Inspire conference, which used to be the worldwide partner conference, was the the seminal event that everybody went to every year. You know, I know that, I know that you have some family members that participated in that. I know they came they came over to the U.S. to go to that conference every year. It was it was the happening. Uh, and then COVID changed all this right? Um, Now we went virtual, we went digital. And uh, it's a shame in some respects that that ecosystem hasn't gotten the nurturing and love that it needed before, which is where we came in. We came in and helped support that. We just hosted a live event in person. We called it Ultimate Partner Live Spark the Ecosystem because we felt like that that nurturing needed to happen and it was an overwhelming success. I mean, I'm still getting people reaching out to me, telling me how amazing they thought the event was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I I can only tell from my perspective, but everyone who is interested in Microsoft in my network knew about the event. And I also saw it everywhere throughout LinkedIn. And I'm actually super curious. And I think that's actually so interesting to share with our listeners as well. I I just said it already, but Microsoft is always the front runner. When you're in channel, when you're in partner ecosystem, we are always looking at how is Microsoft doing it? because we know that they have already tried and tested so many things and if they launch it to the big public then that's also where they are all in and moving forward there and 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 i was super curious about that Vince, would you like to share a bit more about the event both in terms of how it was but also definitely what are the top priorities right now of, of Microsoft leadership? Because I think we can learn a lot from that in when we're building a channel or a partner ecosystem. Yeah, I am I am so happy to share. You know, I've described this time we've been living through
0: is the tectonic shifts, right? We've been seeing in our world, our lives, geopolitically, all the things that have been going on. COVID accelerated transformation. Organizations invested heavy, but then we had the economic headwinds and they backed off. We've seen you know, tremendous layoffs in the last 18 months or so in the tech sector, which also has precipitated doing more with less. So I now do the job of three people. Microsoft did that too, by the way. They said like, well, we we need to do this. So we came in and we said, you know what? You're not doing a live event. I had reached out one of the, I've been blessed to have some several leaders from Microsoft participate in Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Uh, we've been privileged to have some of Microsoft's top partner executives come use our platform as the place to tell the story, announce the new programs and things like that. So I was able to get some of those leaders in a room and it was, it was two days, uh, 30 speakers, 16 sessions, both, you know, both keynotes, fireside chats, and panel discussions, workshop type discussions, where we took and aligned to the three major priorities Microsoft announced at their Inspire Conference. Of course, AI was priority number one, right? I mean, Microsoft's investments in open AI and what they're doing with Chat, with ChatGBT and Copilot. I mean, they're, they're leading the way. Satya has been visionary in this respect and he, they really, um, it's, it's making a difference. You just see in the stock price these days. The other big announcement they made, I mean, AI is gonna infuse into every product and every technology and they want everybody to build with them. The second one was around marketplaces. And we've been talking about this year as sort of the marketplace moment. Uh, AWS was out of the gate a little bit early, investing in marketplace selling, of course, coming from their retail background. And Microsoft is playing fast catch up. And this year they made announcements and said, if you wanna do co-selling with us, by the way, Microsoft, between Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, there are about $300 billion in durable cloud budgets. That means that those three hyperscalers have went to, gone to the enterprise customers and mid-market customers and said, buy these agreements for our cloud. And so they own those budgets and they allow those clients to burn down those agreements by buying software from their marketplaces. So they've created a new channel. This channel with marketplaces is a new way for ISVs and SIs to sell their solutions to Microsoft, Google, and Amazon customers. So we, we focused in on that marketplace moment. We had the leader of the marketplace organization, Anthony jo- jo- Joseph, in the room. And we did a fireside chat talking about the benefits of marketplace. So organizations are really, it's still new uh, for a lot of them. I feel like it was where we were 10 or 12 years ago with the cloud. People were kind of resisting the change, but the change is happening. And in fact, Canalys uh, did a study. uh, Our friend Jay McBain was part of that organization. They said $45 billion will flow through marketplaces by the end of 2025. Uh, They undercalled it. Jay said they undercalled it. It's going to be more like fifty, and then Tackle.io, which is one of the big marketplace software companies, is predicting by the end of twenty twenty six, we will see a hundred billion dollars in sales and transactions flow through these marketplaces between the big three. So we need to get on. You need to get on the bus or get on the train because it's taking off, and you have to. We have to embrace that, right? That's the agility component of great partnerships and organizations. And then the third area of focus is really around the mid-market. And I was privileged that the president of Microsoft's small, medium, and corporate accounts, which is essentially its mid-market, its mid-market and SMB business, he was, he was uh, my, my keynote. He came in in a big way and supported the event and really sparked the conversations. And that mid-market opportunity is huge. And I know our friend Jay, we talk about Jay again, but our, our friend Jay and Canalis did some study some studies on the mid-market opportunity, and it's in the trillions of dollars. In Microsoft alone, they do about $75 billion a year in that mid-market, and it's only 40% penetrated for partners. So there's a huge, I'm calling it the acre of diamonds, like partners that are a lot, we know this, right? A lot of organizations only want to focus on the very big organizations. Those organizations get saturated at some point, right? Everybody's calling on them. This mid-market opportunity is huge. So it's the third, third pillar for Microsoft this year. And we brought in the leadership to speak to partners about how to be more successful selling into that market. So we, we covered all three. All the sessions revolved around those three pillars with Microsoft. I'm so excited to continue our partnership with AG1. Many of you know I've made taking a green drink supplement part of my health ritual for over 21 years now. And it has made all the difference to my health and well-being. About six years ago, Athletic Greens and now their product, AG1, became my go-to supplement. AG1 is the first thing I take every morning to power my day. It covers all of my nutritional bases, supports my gut health, gives a boost to my immunity and energy levels. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. With your first purchase, go to drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. Check them out.
1: I, I think that's super interesting and also very similar to conversation I hear from a lot of vendors that we speak to regularly in terms of what, what everyone is talking about. And we know we need to do something with it. And that's why I would love to dive a bit deeper into the specific uh, three key points. And I'm actually going backwards from the one you ended with, like, I, I think that's so interesting right now. Maybe first question, some cl- clarification on mid-market. So is that, do they call it mid-market, but is it, is it a combination of SMB and mid-market end user companies together? And, and yes. secondly, why do you think that area of SMB is so important and why some, a company like Microsoft is so heavily investing in that area? Well, like I said, the, the, the top of the, the top of the pyramid the enterprise
0: organizations, which represents about 11,000 top organizations, you know, the big tech, the big organizations, the Coca-Colas of the world, the General Motors, all those big organizations. Uh, Like I said, they're they're dominated by big uh, GSIs, global systems integrators, big projects, long sales cycles. Uh, It's hard to move through those, hard to navigate, and it's crowded, it's crowded at the top. In this mid-market segment, I'll use my, Microsoft's numbers here. They have about 38,000, I'll, I'll round it up, 38,000 accounts, right? That's a, that's a, bigger, that's a bigger chunk. Yep. They just, and they haven't been good before at being focused in this area. Microsoft, I'll use Microsoft as the example. I think everybody's the same in the, in terms of tech giants. They they had a different operating model for each of the, their, what they call operating units. So if you went to the LATAM region or you went to APAC or you came over to EMEA where you are, uh, you find a different engagement model. There wasn't any universality. It was hard to navigate and it was hard to work with the teams. And those teams were not as partner centric. Uh, They were just worried about selling licenses and selling what they had in in their bag. Uh, Where enterprise knew it, they had to work with partners. They have, they've changed the model now. They've centralized all the resources. So in the Microsoft world, they've taken the 6,000 employees across every industry and every geography at Microsoft, healthcare, you know, name all the industries and name all the geographies. And now they report directly into this one individual, Kevin Piesker. And they have a regional model. They've, they have three regions, uh, the Americas, EMEA, and the APAC region. And, and those three models, they, have, they, they also have a corporate vice president structured, but they're centralizing, they're creating a methodology across, and they're also welcoming in partners more. And they recognize that they had a gap here. And so they're investing heavily. In fact, Microsoft, 75% of all the channel incentives for Microsoft this year are going into that, into that wow. business, 75%. So it tells you they've made a huge commitment here. And like I said, there's 38,000. And then at the SMB level, there's um, 150 million customers at the SMB level worldwide. So huge opportunity for growth. And Microsoft's not going to touch those SMB customers at all directly. So the huge opportunity for the channel to go, again, this acre of diamonds and great opportunities for growth. Think about taking an organization, any organization of any size, and implementing AI or all of these other rich technologies helping other helping ISVs and other SaaS software companies get to reach to those customers and and stitching it all together like we all we like to talk about the fact that customer doesn't just buy one one vendor they put together a solution they're solving a business problem and it requires multiple organizations to come together to do that so there's this huge opportunity in the work that you and I do to help solve for that I think I think I mean, it's it's such a great opportunity for growth for all of us, Rick.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think very impressive in terms of putting your money where your mouth is, like aligning 75% of your incentives to that yeah. part of the market. I think that that's a really big move and something that we all in partnership should be aware of because Microsoft, like Satya, in my opinion, is the most brilliant strategic mind out there. So he won't be doing that without some very thorough thought behind making such a move. Like I'm interested in the uh, piece there. Like, so we have mid-market and SMB, and then I can imagine mid-market is probably large enough that some of the direct sales of Microsoft can work on it, but they'll do a partner assist play. But from what I understand, SMB will be a pure channel play. So both the selling and the implementation and everything needs to be done by the channel. What they've done in
0: the mid-market is, they call it corporate accounts. So these corporate accounts, these 38,000 customers, they have, a, they have a one-to-many, so they have a direct sales rep. They have a swarm, basically. They've created a, po- a pod around those customers. So there's technical resources, there's selling resources, and there's partnering resources supporting a group of customers. And the ratio where in enterprise it's maybe like one-to-five, one-to-seven, you know, one, one rep you know, for seven customers, it's more like a one-to-25 or one-to-50 model depending on the market and the specificity of the customer. So they are directly supported. But again, if you're if you're calling on 50 accounts and in the course of a year and you have a big book of business to drive, you're not gonna do that yourself. You need transactional partners that are going to help sell the software, the licenses. You're going to need systems integrators to help implement, support, project manage, do all those things. And you're gonna need ISVs that are gonna bring, bring now they're gonna bring their marketplace transactable offers. So think about all of the SaaS software companies. You wanna get into that marketplace because you want these sellers over here to say, oh, you have a backup and recovery solution. This is the one you should use. And they are, by the way, they're starting to use AI internally to be able to track the vendors and who's being the most successful and who has the best customer SAT scores and the like. So I, as a seller now, have at my disposal a whole, Toolkit and also, uh, you know, a, p- a pane of glass that tells me who I need to bring in and who, who can su- best support me on those sales. So, again, this whole partnering strategy is just critical to success.
1: Yeah, it's all super connected to each other. I think also in the tying it a bit more to the marketplace point, which is also very interesting, one of the words that struck me was like a little bit of reluctancy, which I also really notice in the channel because we're all a bit scared because what Amazon, of course, did in the retail sector was cut off the middleman and go direct to customer.
0: Yes. So I
1: can imagine some of the reluctancy is coming from that angle, from specifically the channel. But what? how do you see that the channel is being, because from an ISV perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Immediately marketplace, like you can bundle it. It's easier to buy from a customer perspective, but how do you see them tying in the channel? And and also what do you think like for companies looking at that and also trying to get their channel involved there as an ISV to scale operations? What like what are a bit of the arguments why it's also very relevant for the channel actually to uh, to, to to collaborate there.
0: Yeah. And, well, you know, the channels I mean, we talked about the the, the moment. The channel has had to evolve, right? Because if you're following the big tech giant you know your models have changed right you there used to be all of the incentives i was very close to microsoft's channel incentives program so i know the numbers about what we spend every year uh and it was in the trillions of dollars um it was it was it was, the, it was the it was the i'm sorry it was in the billions of dollars not the trillions of dollars it was it was the one of the largest line items in fact uh, in terms of channel incentives and uh, that That shifted though it 's still there, but it shifted it shifted to driving the right behaviors and Microsoft will continue to do that right as as we talked about with these channel incentives marketplace if, you're, if you 're if you're in the channel and you 're used to a model that was different and you were making more money doing something else, and all of a sudden Microsoft or someone else imposes this new thing you 're a little bit reluctant right um, but there 's other opportunities for growth, right so you have to look at it and say. I might make a little bit less here, but I can make more here. And you're starting to see this evolution of the channel. Uh, Some of them, one of them here in the United States, Insight, uh, is, you know, I, I would say they're on the, they're forward leaning in terms of what they've been doing. They've been evolving their business to compete. They'll do the transaction work. They'll provide all the other services and resale and everything. But they are leaning more into the Accenture's and GSI world a little bit more, and in fact, they made a major purchase just recently of Google's largest reseller and system integrator partner, Sada Systems. So you see that you see that world evolving too, right? They're, they're morphing their business models and they're embracing marketplace. Uh, some of these organizations, uh, again, you, you mentioned the reluctance working with. Amazon looking, saying, Hey, you know, we know how Amazon operates in the retail world. Are they going to do the same thing here? And I would say, proceed with caution. Uh, I would say Microsoft will continue to be the Microsoft of old in terms of embracing their partners. Um, But they are creating this value chain that says we are creating, we're creating value here because we have signed up these customers already. We're working at the C-suite level. By the way, those Mac agreements and, uh, cloud agreements that they the three hold those are negotiated at the cfo level of these organizations they're not in the line of business but it makes it easier now it removes a lot of the friction from the process so you don't have to go find budget to go buy your software you just have to find a customer that likes your software and has access to a mac agreement so it changes the whole model up and hopefully will drive it'll drive better behavior and the channel organizations are going to evolve accordingly the same way the same way the world evolved 12 years ago with the cloud, right? Everybody was selling Dell computers and targets bags back in those days. And they still do, but nobody was selling cloud. They were like, what is this cloud thing? And it looks like a it's direct, a direct model and you're gonna buy directly from the hyperscaler. Well, that's changed as well. We've, we've all recognized that that's created more value for these organizations to not only sell the cloud, but also wrap around services around that. And I think we'll see the same thing with marketplace.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think we could do a full extra episode on the consumption-based model and indeed how it works with that. Actually, the hyperscalers getting in at the C level, having huge contracts, where you can highly benefit as an ISV because, yeah, it's almost like Microsoft or Amazon is gonna pay you for the contract, but it's with credits that the customer builds up, etc. It's super, uh, super interesting, right? And it won't. Yeah, and I want to just note here
0: too, because we talk about the channel, right? It's not going to replace the channel, the, the model today, at least not in the near term, it becomes another channel, right? It becomes another channel to the customer and the customer will buy various ways and you just have to be agile enough to recognize that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one last question around the marketplace is like the, the examples indeed of, uh, of insight, for example, like joining. The marketplace, I'm working more around it. Those are, are almost what I would call like the GSIs or the really big FARs or the DMRs yeah. almost, uh, direct market resellers. But for the SMB channel partner, do you also see a role there for the marketplace or, or less so? No, just as much so.
0: I mean, maybe maybe at a smaller scale, but these organizations are going to provide professional services and support customers uniquely and more locally, right? And uh, there's still that need. Like if I am a company in a certain geography, I, I have local relationships and, you know, I like to go back to the five or seven seats at the table to say who is influencing my decision process. And it may not be one of the big DMRs that we talked about. It might be a local systems integrator that you're comfortable working with. They now have the ability to bring to you everything you need, right? So it's enabling them more, in fact, to go do this through marketplaces because now they have, they have the full access to that marketplace and customers aren't going to do this by themselves. We know that, right? This is technology, especially smaller organizations are more challenged. They don't have the IT staff to go do it themselves. So I'm going to rely on my local and trusted vendor to support me in doing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Anita, as an SMB channel partner, you might lose a little bit of margin when doing it in such a way, but you win it back as well because everything yeah. is in one invoice. It's very easy to manage. Like everything you would use to do with a distributor in the past now is can be managed with a, a marketplace or a hyperscaler as well. That's right. That's right. Very, very yeah, good I, point, Rick. I love that. Then then we get to the final point of AI, of course. And, And first of all, I want to say, like Microsoft all in on AI, big investment. They had some tumultuous weeks, but I want to do a shout out to Sacha because that is true partnership. Sam Altman back at the range of OpenAI. Definitely not what I expected after it just happened, but then you can see, like, if you have a very strong partner and they have your back, what an effect that can have. And yeah, I think it's the best decision for OpenAI and for. The ai continuation of innovation and, and and progress there in general so big yeah. shout out there but i'm also super curious to learn indeed like what do you see there in terms of uh, the ai like of course we know why ai is so important but i'm also super curious what role does microsoft see there for their partners in terms of bringing that ai to the market they've done the big investments they've yep. Worked insanely hard. I'm super impressed in integrating AI in all their products and in Bing, in Office, in Teams, in everywhere in Azure. Like, but what then? Now it's I think up to the channel to bring it to market. Like, yes. uh, what what's their strategy there? And what do you think that are the some of the roadblocks they might see there? Uh? Well, first of all, to call out this idea there, right?
0: That was a masterclass in strategy. Like what he did with. With Sam, um, first, first of all, he was blindsided, right? That, I mean, the board didn't even let him know until minutes before they announced it, which was crazy. And then he took, the, he took the high road and he said, well, how do I best support this? I want to support Sam. I want to support OpenAI. He brings Sam on board on a Sunday, right? Sam, Sam, he sets up a new business unit. By the way, almost all the employees said they were going to leave. So he knew that like if OpenAI isn't going to do it, they're all going to be Microsoft employees. And then he positions it so Sam can run back into the CEO or get back into the CEO slot, which was just incredible. Now on the product side, what you're seeing, I mean, Microsoft has been the productivity suite, right? And we go back, I mean, let's, let's look at offices, it's a crowning example, and M365 now, and all of your productivity offerings and suite, everything is infused now with AI or is getting infused with AI. It's, it, there were big announcements and releases in early November. We're continuing to see things. They had their big Ignite conference. Uh, the ability to infuse all this technology, uh, but the role of the partner stays pretty much the same in that regard, right? Because these are same these are organizations that are, need to uh, embrace and, and deploy these technologies. They will do that. Uh, the there will be addition, there are additional roles for GSIs and SIs of, of any size and shape to take advantage of the toolkits that are available in Azure AI, and you can go on with the list of Microsoft acronyms and names, but being able to take that technology and deploy it locally. People will want secure uh, GPTs. They'll want want the ability to do their own and not be in the public domain. So the ability to implement those is gonna be a huge opportunity. In the ISV and SaaS world community, well, I mean, I want, to, I want to infuse this technology into my, my offerings, right? So there's the opportunity for those partners to go do that and then to implement that. So it's creating more opportunity for partners of all types to take and infuse that, that stack uh, into, into organizations, right? And, it's, and we're just at the beginning. So I can't even predict where it's going to go, but we are people are talking about this as even probably the biggest thing that's happened in the last 40 years, right? Since the, maybe 50 years since the chip. Right. Yeah. We, we went through the, the PC error, we went to the client server, error, we went to the internet error, uh, we got to mobile computing, we got to cloud, and now we're in AI, and it's, I, man, it's going to be a wild ride these next 10 years.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I really, and it like the pace at which everything is progressing, I'm, I'm very curious to see where that's, where that's going. And, and a, a question that comes to mind immediately with me, it's, it's such a new technology like we need to, but also it's progressing so quickly and that will keep the same pace probably or only grow exponentially from an innovation side. What strategy does Microsoft have in place to actually make sure that their partners, both the ISVs and the channel, can actually easily message that and take that message of AI, but also the implementation, et cetera, to the market? Do you see any potential blockers there or challenges for, for Microsoft?
0: My, I mean, Microsoft is putting out a lot. In fact, once, once we have the content live, I'd love people to come see like the videos and some of the things that Microsoft showed at our event. But um, I mean, they, they want the partner world to embrace it. Um, what I would say in terms of blocker, I would say one thing I will say about Microsoft, uh, e- even as a former employee, uh, I'm still, um, people like Brad Smith, who's president of Microsoft, there's an e- ethical level within Microsoft that you don't see in most, if not any other technology company, that they will do the right thing. They will do a, they've always professed the cloud for good. Um, people like Brad, Brad wrote a book called tools and weapons. And he sits at the forefront of Microsoft's aim to ensure that we do this in the right way. Right. And Microsoft, again, being a partner led partner, you know, they took the word AI. If you know this, they changed the name of the partner program in July. In fact, we had Julie Smith. Uh, Julie Sanford come on to the podcast and talk about this. They changed the name of the program from the Microsoft Cloud Partner Program to the Microsoft AI Cloud Partner Program. So they've infused AI into everything, including the name of the, the partner program for the 400,000 partners, which tells me and with the channel incentives and everything that they're doing, that they're leaning in have more heavily. They are, I know for a fact that they are quintupling the size of the technology groups supporting AI, they had a team of black belts as an example uh, here in the United States that was a fairly small ragtag team, maybe twenty people they have they are going five times the size of that organization just to support customers here, and they're doing the same things around but part they you know Microsoft's view is we bring. We bring the technology in and when we bring the partner and the customer together and we go solve for it together, which has
1: always been their approach. I love this. Yeah, it's it just you can really see that Microsoft is always one step ahead of where they shoot uh, or multiple steps ahead. Let's say it like that uh, of where they want to go and where they are going. And that's what you can clearly see with this as well. And again, also yeah. with things like that, I can also highly advise that to our listeners like if you launch something launch it big like look at microsoft such an enormous company but when they launch ai they implement it everywhere so everyone will know in their ecosystem how important that's going to be for the upcoming five to ten years or in this case
0: and even their executives kevin pisco when he spoke at our event says i spend at least a half hour every morning studying what's what, what, what we're doing on ai practicing it implementing it, getting to know the product better. This is the president of a $75 billion division of Microsoft. He's spending time there, which tells you the whole company is focused on this. And to your point too, I think they caught a lot of others were caught flat footed. I think that there was, there were a lot of people in other places in Silicon Valley in particular that were going, getting into the rooms and going, what do we do now? What's our strategy going to look like? What, you know, they, they were just, so caught off guard by Microsoft's announcements. It's an, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Vince. I think this really was a pure masterclass or on where the partner ecosystem and channel is going. We've spoken about how important SMB and mid-market is going to be. If you want to keep your growth rates that you had in the past as a tech company, because the enterprise market is getting saturated, so you need to really get that opportunity. We talked about how to really work together with hyperscalers and the opportunity with marketplaces and AI. How can you best implement it? How can you leverage the AI that Microsoft is working with? I think it was super valuable. I definitely want to get you back later, Vince. And uh, thank you so much for sharing this with our listeners.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com. If you liked this episode, I'd be thrilled if you left us up to a five-star review on either Apple or Spotify. This helps us to continue to feature amazing guests. Also, please check out and subscribe to our new YouTube channel, Ultimate Partner. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.